Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. Well, this week, uh, the big news, of course, the United States has a new president and has a new administration. And with that, they are quickly turning to uh, priorities. President Biden immediately went to work in the Oval Office, signing a number of executive orders on the very first afternoon that uh, he was in office. And uh, with that, we're going to take a look at some of the tech priorities. It hasn't, I would say, been a strong focus, early focus for the Biden administration. In fact, there's some big question marks around what the Biden administration will focus on. Uh, His early, of course, priorities were on doing some of the uh, the things that the prior administration had done, not uncommon for new presidents from, from the opposite party to come in and undo some of the, the prior administration's things. And so uh, those were, were the headlines, but now we want to dive, as we always do, behind the headlines and look at some of the, the tech priorities. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, certainly some of the initial priorities and uh, the inauguration speech uh, characterized them as cascading crises, I believe. Uh, Things like uh, the coronavirus, racial equality, uh, social justice, the the economy, uh, of course. Uh, And, uh, you know, probably the one that um, uh, maybe most directly uh, related to tech uh, is this idea uh, that he talked about of, of lies for power and profit, uh, which has been, you know, an issue with social media and and the spread of disinformation. So I would say that, you know, some of these will certainly have uh, indirect impact on tech companies, uh, for better or worse. Uh, you know, the coronavirus, of course, forced uh, major lifestyle changes for people around the globe. Uh, some tech companies. Um, were, were the beneficiary uh, of, of that as, as people turn to things like streaming and, and laptops and, and things like that. And uh, I would say that um, Biden's uh, immigration priorities is, are probably looked favorably upon by big tech, which uh, uh, or many tech companies that uh, tried to uh, uh, lobby the, the Trump administration about uh, easier access to H-1B uh, visas, which uh, are very important for their, their workforce. Uh, so, um, you know, th- those are, uh, and, and of course, the diversity improvements in the economy, uh, th- those are things that I think in general will help uh, all, all companies, not, not just tech companies. But um, uh, th- those were some of the uh, initial responses to some of his early priorities and announcements. As much as things like immigration will undoubtedly benefit tech companies, uh, there are likely to be things that the Biden administration begins to look at that will not be so favorably received by the, by the tech companies. Uh, obviously, Section 230 is probably going to see greater debate now, especially given the fact that uh, Trump was in the final days de-platformed. of- Yes, de- yeah. deplatformed in the final days of his administration. So 230 is front and center just uh, the antitrust issues around some of the large tech companies, I think, will will uh, receive much stronger focus in the in the year ahead, uh, especially with the fact that you have the uh, Democratic Party c- controlling 
both the House and, and arguably the Senate with the, uh, the vote the from very slimmest of margins. Yeah, by the slimmest of margins. So but uh, I think that will still be a debate. If, if nothing else, it will be something that passes in the House. Reforms might pass in the House and then get uh, pushed to the Senate where they'll be more more strongly debated. So some of the, yeah, some of these investigations and lawsuits were initiated in the previous administration. So, uh, you know, we'll see if this administration and, and this DOJ continues them. Um, I'm inclined to think that that they will for at least the short term. Uh, and uh, but I, I also think, you know, to your point, Sean, that uh, there are in many ways bigger fish to fry, uh, higher priorities for the administration than taking on uh you know, allegations of, of tech monopolies for uh, for probably the next six months or so, at least. I think we'll see the impact of some of the environmental regulations and agreements, and we'll start to see that pick up for sure. We saw electric autonomous vehicle startup Cruise raise $2 billion at a, a $30 billion valuation this week. And, and I would say at CS, we saw a lot around electric vehicles. You saw GM. Sure making a big push around electric vehicles. So that obviously fits well in the administration's plans for a, uh, you know, environmental stewardship that, uh, that wasn't a focus of the last administration. Uh, I would also say, you know, just corporate tax rate, uh, of course, will, will have an implication uh, as will the um, going back to uh, immigration, the dreamers, Say the other thing that will be a big story is how the Biden administration addresses issues with China, Uh, not just the trade war, but also intellectual property and some other things. I mean, these have been long-standing dynamics and issues. They have been exacerbated in in really the last year or two, recent years, and continues to become tense and and heightened. And so, I think there'll be a lot of focus on um, on. You know China and, and the impact that that might have on some of the, the tech dynamics that exist. Uh, in other news from Washington, uh, we saw that a uh, site called Faces of the Riot published every face from Parler's Capital Riots videos. Uh, as, as you're probably aware, Parler was taken offline by AWS, but before it did, some hackers exploited a bug in the Parler software and were able to download all of the social media videos that had been posted from, I, I think the entire site was downloaded, but the focus here is just on the videos that were uploaded relative to the invasion of the U.S. Capitol on, uh, on the 6th of January. And uh, so Faces of Right used some of readily available open source software to detect, extract, and dedupe every face from the 827 videos that were taken and uploaded. Uh, And so, you know, it opens up a lot of ethical issues and ethical questions about the future of facial recognition and that really the democratization of facial recognition. We saw in, in the aftermath that facial recognition is uh, accelerating. We're seeing a surge of it after the Capitol riots. Obviously, uh, police forces are are interested in using it. This particular example is not a police force, but uh, an individual or group of individuals who used available software to uh, take video that was in the public domain and 
and identify individuals from those videos? Yeah, it's arguably a more benign form of digital vig- vigilantism, vigilantism, uh, as opposed to say, you know, doxing someone and exposing uh, a lot of their private information. Uh, but uh, it also raises questions of what is your perceived right to privacy uh, when you are posting to a private social network, even though many of the rioters were certainly not shy about, uh, you know, taking videos, posting on uh, more mainstream social media platforms about what they intended to do, what they were doing, broadcasting it live. And of course, we've already seen reports of more than 100 people uh, arrested from that group. Uh, So, you know, uh, the authorities are, are well on their way to tracking them down. Uh, but, um, you know, this, uh, Sean, as we were talking earlier, one of the differences here is that uh, these are faces of people who were captured in other people's videos, not necessarily people who were streaming, you know, selfie videos uh, of themselves. So uh, that, that's kind of the, the interesting wrinkle. Uh, when you participate in such an event, I, I think there's some, you know, in a newsworthy event, uh, I think there's some understanding that, you know, you are uh, opening yourself to, to being recorded. So um, that's long been true even for media organizations. The difference is, uh, as opposed to, say, China, you know, to our earlier discussion where, uh, you know, the use of facial recognition is, is open uh, uh, and, and widespread uh, by the government and, you know, accepted in society to some extent. Uh, here, we, people don't have that expectation, and, and it's, the, it's the public that's doing it as, as opposed to, say, the government. Exactly. I think if you walk into a public building like the U.S. Capitol or right. a state house, well, that's you, that's another interesting wrinkle. You know that that it was inside a, a government building, right? Yeah. And in those government buildings, you would expect there to be cameras. You would expect state and and local and federal law enforcement to potentially be using facial recognition on some of that video, de- depending upon where you are. Some jurisdictions and municipalities have put a hold on the use of facial recognition by their police forces. But generally, you would anticipate that that you're being captured by video, that that video could be used to identify you using facial recognition. But in this particular example, we have individuals taking private videos that were, that were shared and identifying individu- individuals from those videos. And, and as uh, Ross, you just noted, these aren't selfies that they, you know, that they're posting, but often they're just being captured by other people's videos. And if you get videos from multiple angles, uh, then you, you have a better chance of identifying those, those individuals. And they were able to use deduping software to essentially isolate each individual uniquely. So it, it does open up some really interesting questions moving forward because we're in a world that will be filled with videos and cameras. And now anybody essentially, if they can get access to, to that video footage would be able to use it to identify who was there. And, and of course, just because someone might've been captured on video doesn't mean that they were breaking the law. I mean, they may have captured people who were on the Capitol steps, but who never breached the building, uh, which was really the, you know, the, the issue uh, in terms of uh, crossing over from, from protest to, to crime. So, yeah. 
So I think we're just seeing the early days of this. I mean, we are going to see a lot more. Uh, already we've seen retailers experimenting with how to use their CCTV setups to determine what products uh, shoppers are looking at, how they're navigating the store, how long they're lingering in certain aisles, how the in caps are doing. And they're doing this so that they can better position the store for success so they can monetize dis- different shelf space so they can arguably feed back information to to their product providers to the suppliers, manufacturers yeah. to the suppliers but uh you know this opens up the ability for anybody ultimately to to do things with that video footage it obviously not video footage that's been captured by the retailer but video footage has been cap- captured by the masses if you were there, you can be identified. And so uh, it really opens up a lot of, of privacy concerns for individuals. And if you, if you look at all of the, the technology around cameras, you know, we've got privacy screens and other things like that that we can uh, shut if we don't want our webcam on or other things like that. But this mm. is, again, somebody else's video footage. All you had to do was be there to be, to be captured. So... Uh, more to come on that front, but I think I think all of that is going back to the conversation we were just having about Biden's focus and, and priorities. All of this will be things that that will, I think, need to be addressed or at least will be heavily discussed over the next four years. The use of AI, the use of machine learning, the use of facial recognition by police forces, but in this case, also by private individuals. Yeah, we, we had already discussed on the podcast some moves that governments have taken to ban the use of facial recognition by by the police. But, you know, now we have to think about extending it to community-generated video as well. Yeah. And our uh, final story for this week's episode, we have yet more Apple rumors another week and another uh, slew of Apple rumors. It reminds me of the the years gone by when every week brought a rumor that Apple was only two years away from launching <laughs> a new Apple uh, TV, not the, not the service, but the actual hardware with a screen. An actual and, set, yeah. Yeah, an actual TV set. And we never, of course, saw that come to fruition yet. Uh, m- many of those rumors have, have since died down but uh this week's rumor is that apple's vr headset will be a pricey high-end standalone product in advance of a much broader virtual or or augmented reality play uh they were originally it was originally rumored to come out in 2020 and of course as 2020 comes and goes then those rumors get pushed out now uh, according to reports in Bloomberg by those who have knowledge of the matter. Uh, we expect the launch to be somewhere in 2022. And, and again, this is a precursor to a much bigger AR headset launch. So Ross, are we going to see a uh, VR headset high-end expensive? Maybe, headset? maybe only in virtual reality will, will we right. see it. Uh, so, so I think, you know, the difference here is that uh, Apple has really built up a franchise in augmented reality. You know, the, the idea with your phone, you can look around the room and place digital objects 
inside the uh, inside the environment. And from a technical perspective, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the industry about how VR and AR are just two ends of the same spectrum. Uh, but of course, the experience is very different, and the products that we've seen in the marketplace to uh, achieve these uh, these effects are are very different. Uh, and so the uh, the surprising part of it, again, is that uh, here Apple has been pushing, pushing, pushing toward augmented reality, and they might develop a virtual reality uh, headset, which has been really uh, attempted by many players uh, in the marketplace, uh, with, uh, with Facebook uh, currently leading the market with its uh, Oculus uh, Quest 2 headset at about $400. And then there are a number of companies that play in that $800 and above space, uh, HP and Valve, and I guess HTC still, Samsung has a product there. Uh, but you know these are relatively obscure products compared to other products that are made by some of these companies. And then at the very high end, you've got products that cost thousands of dollars aimed at professional designers and engineers, people prototyping products, that have uh, you know excellent uh, fidelity and, and, and super high resolution that can really match the human eye uh, in terms of uh, what they can do. So, so Apple, of course, you know has a great franchise in games. Uh, so it's not to say that they couldn't build up a, a huge library of, of virtual reality uh, applications, and and I'm sure there would be ports uh, that you know they would be eager to bring that to. Apple, but, uh, you know, the question is whether they could really extend it uh, into the kind of phenomenon that many people believe augmented reality will ultimately be, you know, something that we use in everyday life, as opposed to, you know, kind of this game session driven experience where you put on the headset and you're shut off to the world, essentially, for however long you're playing. I don't doubt that Apple has developed a prototype and has pr- probably multiple different types of AR and VR prototypes. Uh, they're inevitably using it to to think about what development might look like for these platforms and how they could uh, participate in that. Uh, if we know anything about Apple's business model now, it's that they like to have these platform businesses. They want to have the hardware and they also want to have the content Mm-hmm. you know, available there. So if you think of what they did with the original app store or what they're doing with uh, their subscription services, TV, right? Apple one. Yeah. Yeah. The Apple one. And, and, you know, obviously they've gone into fitness and other areas like that. So they want to build out uh, a content library that can, can really benefit from the hardware and conversely the hardware that will benefit from the, the content. So that, that is Apple's, business model at least today if they were to come out with with anything in the vr space then i think that they're going to also demand uh, a content library be available and a rich content library and a good content library and i i'm not convinced yet that that is that is here i've seen some amazing prototypes i've seen some amazing examples of what vr can deliver but they're mostly one-offs, and I don't know that uh, the the type of, if you will, like Netflix library uh, exists yet for VR. And I think Apple would want that before they really dedicated hardware to it. And then they'd want 
a storefront where you could get all, access to all of that through some type of recurring revenue stream, subscription stream. So I think that's what, what it'll take for them to really commit to a VR environment. AR is different because AR can take place in the world around you. And so there are things in, in AR that can that uh, can leverage some of the products that Apple already has, n- namely the phone, obviously. So I, I think those are some of the headwinds for Apple in that space. The other rumor that we didn't hear this week, but inevitably we will hear next week, is that Apple has a, a car set to launch in 2022 or 2023. And in some ways, I think that's almost more more realistic because they can demand a premium price for that product. It's a category that doesn't have a lot of great margin in it. And Apple actually has done quite well in building margin in places that, that don't have a lot of margin by, by offering a premium product. So I could see Apple, uh, you know, coming into that, that space with a real premium Apple esque offering and there are fans that, that love Apple products that would be really compelled to try the car. Yeah, I mean, the, the real magic of what Apple is able to do is margin at scale, right? So they're really, really good at uh, taking uh, products categories that are broadly commoditized um, and, and offering a much higher margin, but, but at a much broader scale than the high end of the luxury market. So, so in cars, right, think about... Uh, you know, Mercedes and BMW, as opposed to say the the supercar guys who sell you know a couple of thousand units uh, a year, maybe. So, uh, so that's that's really more more of the target. And and I think the same thing is true of VR and AR. Uh, I think the reason there was a lot of excitement about Apple and AR is because no one's really been able to do it at scale yet. I mean, the Hololens is an amazing product, uh, but it you know I don't know if we'll ever see a consumer version. Uh, of it. Uh, I don't think it's a priority for Microsoft, uh, but what it can do from a technical perspective uh, is uh, is very cool. And, you know, part of the problem to your point, Sean, is that they really don't have that level of developer um, momentum, even though they have access to uh, a fantastic array of game developers, thanks to Xbox. Um, and they've, they've done some work in VR, mostly through partners, uh, but, uh, but AR you know, at some point it's going to be a breakthrough. Um, everyone says we'll see huge price reductions over the next few years and improvements in comfort and weight and all, all of the other things that you need for it to uh, reach a broader audience. Well, your point about HoloLens, to me, AR has some phenomenal use case scenarios. And the, the most interesting ones for me, again, exist in the enterprise side mm-hmm. or, or the Absolutely. industrial side of the economy. And th- that really hasn't been a sweet spot for Apple either. So that's the, the other component to this. They tend to like the, the consumer side of, of the business. Uh, granted, their phone business has benefited by, by becoming a more enterprise friendly. Yep, iPad too, I would yeah. say. Yep. Uh, so and this, so, this uh, week, actually, or last week at CES, we saw Lenovo roll out their Think Reality uh, glasses, uh, which are kind of focused on that industrial um, application, but also a more mainstream uh, application of just being able to view multiple computer screens at one time virtually. So that could be an interesting application for, for Apple. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting applications on the enterprise side, and I don't know that Apple is is yet ready to 
enter that space or how they might enter that space or where they see recurring revenue coming from in that environment. And yeah, so, they like it there. They, they, they do well there. But again, it's just about scale for, for the platform. Yeah. That will probably do it for this week's episode of Techspansive. Thanks so much for joining us. Again, I am Sean Dubervac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. <laughs>